I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Hello and welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger, coming to you on Monday, the 6th of August. And same as usual now, at least we got Joe and Matthew. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Hey. You're, you're... I was at the mall today, you're... and something else I saw, <laughs> in, addition, in addition to the getting caught story, they they have fiction out for the Neverwinter MMO. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah, they already have a book out by Ari Salvatore for it. Ooh. Like, so Ari Salvatore's bounced back from 38 Studios, in case you're worried about him. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think that was going to hold him back for very long. Yeah, I know. But I'm pretty it, sure half that money that disappeared was in his pocket, just saying. It is! <laughs> when did he get a horse? Oh, he got him one. <laughs> so did Why you pick did up the buy book? Him a horse? No, no, I didn't pick up the book. I don't care about D&D fiction. Uh, I just, but I noticed that it was out, it's branded, and they're like, you know, they never went to MMO, and I'm thinking to myself, that means Dungeons & Dragons is going to have two. Kind of two free-to-play MMOs out. I, they didn't yep. announce it's going to be free-to-play, but let's be honest, it will be. At this point, it will be, yeah. Well, at this point, damn near everything is going free-to-play, and that was the big news last week, too. Star Wars The Old Republic is going free-to-play in the fall. And yep. um, it's kind of funny talking to people about that because you have the people who are, oh, my God, this is the end of the game, and then the other people who understand that if done properly, free-to-play is actually a very, very good option and will finally bring some people back to the game. So. I find it interesting because there's doomsayers on both sides. The thing I, there was an article I read that I, a friend of mine actually pointed me out to that was hilarious, arguing that it would get 50 million daily players now. <laughs> 50 million. 50 million daily players. I'm like, really? 50 million a day. <laughs> okay. I didn't. I wasn't aware we were going to enslave the population of France and force them to play the game. But hey, if if you say so, pundit. It's like, you know, I, I, and the other side is this will kill the game. And the, obviously, this is a model that can be very successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you've seen it. This is a model that can work. Um, it can make a lot of all... money off of this, and it can bring a lot of people back to the game as well. Absolutely. Well, I, got, I actually got into a really, really large conversation on Google Plus, of all things, um, with one of the editors from PC Gamer Magazine and a few of his friends because they had written up an article about it uh, as soon as it was announced. And if you go back through it, some of the games that have gone free-to-play have just gotten insane increases in just, like, revenue and subscriber base. Uh, Lord of the Rings Online stayed up. Yep. D&D Online quadrupled its money and player base after going free-to-play. Lord Lord of the the Rings Rings Online Online went, I think it was three times. DC Universe Universe Online... 
seven times the amount sick. of money and subscriber base as soon as it went free to play. So I mean, free to play is not this this weird nebulous space that people seem to think it is, where it marks the death of the game. No, not even close. It's this spot where if like you said, if done right, is absolutely phenomenal and beneficial for the game and the company. For gamers and the people who want that paycheck at the end of the day, it's good for both parties. Wait, Again, it all boils down to done right, though. We don't have to look any yeah. further than Star Trek Online, though, to see how it can be done poorly, and then it doesn't matter if it goes yeah. free to play. It's going to sink anyway. And you blame Star Trek Online on it going free to play, though. I don't even think. I think it's more along the lines of the general way the game was run didn't really well, there was sit a lot well of things. Star Trek fans. Free to play. I mean, it's it comes down to you have to understand. I honestly think the best example is League of Legends. Yes. Which isn't an MMO, but which understands perfectly what you need to do to monetize this is to give people things they're going to want to buy. Skins. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's a perfect example. Yeah, it doesn't and... have to be skins, but it can be any. You know, like D DC Universe Online. One of the things you get for paying is more stuff for your cosmetic kit. You can design your character to look different. You have more, you know, pieces because you bought them. I do find, however, that uh, DC Universe Online actually restricts a little too much, though. That I do find. You can argue that, and I certainly don't dispute it. But in terms of financial success, that you need to come up with stuff to sell to people. It can't just well, be a question yeah, of, you know, and that's one of the things we talked. You mentioned Star Wars, and I went and looked up what their free-to-play thing is going to be. Uh, ba the basic game is pretty much free. Like, they're giving you almost everything. But the, a lot of the stuff at the high end, at the level 50 activities, are what they're selling. Like, unrestricted access to the, their their PvP features, um, some of the top-end items, you know, some of the, the dungeons and raid-type things, are going to be available through in-game currency that you get if you buy the game, if you just pay the monthly fee. You get everything. And I think that's interesting. I don't know how much I really like it. But we'll it's see not, how it'll work. It's not too dissimilar to Lotro, though, because with Lord of the Rings Online, a lot of like the monster PvP and a lot of the stuff like that, uh, that is stuff that you pay to unlock and stuff that you pay to, to have it going on. So, I mean, it's it's not unheard of. I don't know, but I think it's I think it's a smart move for theirs in the long run. I think that especially with this game, too, they need to have more things, which it sounds like they're going to be doing with this currency that they're they're introducing with this, wherein you will be able to purchase not just these little quirky things that they're talking about, which, yeah, they're, they're cool, it'll be fun, and people will want to buy them. But the big thing about the Old Republic is the outfits. People want those orange outfits. People want something that is that does make them look different than everybody else. So if they can be introducing more of that, I think that actually will make them a substantial amount of money. I, I, I don't think that they'll have to do too much restricting in the game per se, but just introduce quirky things like this, purchasable mounts, purchasable uh, pets, different things like that. Make your, your patches be something that you have to pay, same as DC Universe Online, and... I mean, people will definitely come and pay more for for those few things. And definitely, it's, you know, if you're thinking free-to-play is going to kill an MMO, it clearly hasn't. I don't know how it'll work. Well, let's be honest. We're all thinking, you know, is World of Warcraft going to do this? I don't so, think so. I don't think so either because World of Warcraft has millions of people to think yep. about. And that's the thing is free-to-play is absolutely brilliant for a certain target amount of players. Uh, and games can do very well with that many players. You can do, you can keep an MMO going for years on 500,000 to a million people, you know, easily. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that uh, I can't see that WoW would do this unless there was substantial pressure from Activision. If the if the player base did dip, like I mean, it just dipped some, well, a substantial amount, but in terms of uh, WoW, not that the much. Problem is, the problem is with WoW is the other problem with describing it is that WoW has actually gone up and down so many times and they didn't used to have to tell us about it. Yeah. And they've actually, they, they said a thing last year where they made the point that more people don't play World of Warcraft now that used to then play it. Right. And most MMOs couldn't sustain that level of churn. Yeah. So WoW is a really bad example it's a different beast. for MMOs. Yeah, 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 for it's, sure. It's almost not even an MMO. Well, the, oh no, it's a cult mentality to the game too because people just keep coming back year after year. And it's it's one of those things where, yeah, the, the membership has dipped. Uh, what was it, 1.1 million it dipped? It's right now. It's to nine point one. So yeah, it's about so one point one million. Yeah, and but, uh, uh, but they're all coming back. Eight. They're all coming so, back when Pandaria comes. Someone pointed out to me that that was the, almost exactly the amount of people that signed up for the annual pass. Right. And they would have already played Diablo three by now. They would have gotten that. But but you made the point about it being a cult. It's also WoW sells you its player base. WoW can have convenience features that other MMOs don't really have because they don't have the people to sell you so free-to-play works great because they take the people they do have and give them things to keep spending money on right and that's why i think for star wars this is a good move oh yeah because star, star wars had i think at launch it had about 1.6 1.7 million sold there's yeah. people out there who own this game that aren't playing yeah that have it on their hard drive yep who want to play it yep well, uh, it, it, again, they have to understand, too, that unfortunately, same as uh, every goddamn MMO has to understand that, whether we're talking about the Secret World or Terra or the ones that are coming out, at least Guild Wars understands it, um, that w there's everybody's got room for one, maybe two, maybe three MMO subscriptions. And one of them is already taken up by WoW, more likely than not. And yeah. then so you've only got one or two to play with. So if you want to get some money from these people, you still can just offer them a free package. Like case in point for Star Wars, I've still got my membership going, but my son doesn't for his because now he's playing WoW. So I'm paying for his WoW instead of the Star Wars. Well, now, well, not now, but once this comes out, he'll still be able to bounce in and play Star Wars, which he was still having fun doing. So again, I think that all MMOs coming out need to understand that and they need to get it in their head that they can actually make more money by going free to play than my trying the subscription route I'm, anyway. It's can also I a good way to manage expectations too, right? Because if, and this is just something I've noticed, the sense of entitlement that players that play like WoW and pay that monthly subscription have versus the players that play like Lotro or DDO or DCU it's there's a marked difference between the the level of expectation. Um, they're not so much well. I'm paying a monthly subscription. I need to get this, 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 and this. It's oh, okay. This is just how it is. Like there's a lot more people right, willing to, you know, pony up the cash for just what they want because they're not they don't have that sense of entitlement from paying a monthly fee. Yeah, I don't know if in the future MMOs are all going to be free to play. It's possible some other system like you know for that matter the system that goes in Asia for a lot of games where you pay for a specific amount of time, time yeah. and that's it. That could come here, although it's, America seems pretty resistant to it. Uh, but we'll see. The point is, I think it's more valid to look at the idea that you have to be aware that you are in, entering a marketplace where there is a dog that you are not going to be pushing off the cliff. I am really, I think a lot of MMOs have hurt themselves by setting themselves up as killers. 
Yeah, we'll tell you. Stop doing that. Stop doing it because you're not going to pull it off. It happened the last time that a big market-dominating MMO got dethroned. It dethroned itself. Don't think that World of Warcraft didn't beat EverQuest. EverQuest beat EverQuest. Mm -hmm. EverQuest made the huge mistake of putting out EverQuest 2 and making it a separate game and not transferring any of the characters. And that made it too easy for people to stop playing it. You know, if well, you're doing... uh, especially by doing it at the very same time as WoW, they oh, were yeah. they were far too close together. Yeah, but that's again that's the situation where nobody at, nobody at Blizzard saw that coming. Mm-mm. Nobody at Blizzard thought you know, and we'll be the biggest MMO in the land. They were like, we'll get like maybe we'll get a hundred thousand or maybe two hundred thousand. Oh yeah, their yeah. their expectation was to be done in two years. Their expectation was at the end of two years that they wouldn't be around anymore for that. And you know, <laughs> things happened. Don't don't enter the market. I, Age of Conan was a game that I was really looking forward to, Me and too. I really wanted to play it. And it was trying too hard to to be the the WoW killer, and now it's not a game I play. Yeah, but it tried a, it tried too hard to make promises that it couldn't deliver, and then nobody like, could have delivered. No, you know, and it just it was. Th- this is at least a sign to me that these games are at least coming into the market now with the ability to see the bigger picture. And I'd like. I hope that this game gets a chance to to, to stick around because well, it was good. Yeah. The thing with this too is that Blizzard, uh, not Blizzard, sorry, Bioware has been very good in terms of constantly putting out new content for the game, not just tweaking what's out. So what's going to happen is that you're going to be paying, yeah, but you're going to get or it'll be free to play and then you pay for certain things but there's going to be constant upgrades all the time and new patches and new this new content new planets new uh space combat coming all kinds of things and then new hk thing, yeah. so there's there's always going to be new things so that i think is really going to work in its favor as well not just to retain the player base but for them to feel like they're getting their money's for worth for whatever they choose to pay yeah, so. I, I was actually thinking about it. I was thinking of renewing my subscription like a couple months before I heard about the free-to-play. But now, of course, I'll wait because, you know, I'm not stupid. Yeah, I'm going to hold off and see. The uh, The interesting thing here, too, is the way that they're doing this, uh, the cartel coins. If you are a current or previous member kind of thing, you're racking up essentially these cartel coins. Um, and if you, if you got a collector's edition, it finally means something because it really didn't mean anything before. You're going to get, I think it was, what, 1,000? Some huge number. I think I've got their site right here. Yeah, I think it's a uh, yeah a thousand. I've got it right here. So you're gonna wind up getting a thousand cartel coins that you can wind up spending. And then they're talking about some of the stuff that they're they may be doing. And they've got well this weird hollow replica. Who cares? I like the carbonate <laughs> hibernation <laughs> capsule. It was cute. Uh, Party Jawas, another pet. Which again, that's what they they need to do more of. Uh, meditation throne, and then the lost helm. That helm is freaking sexy as all hell. So um, so it will be cool. I am looking forward to what it is that they choose to put in this shop. Because, again, going by the shop that they had for the collector's edition, edition that was crap. There was yeah. next to nothing in there. It was not worth the extra money. So uh, moving on from there, but staying on with Bioware, we did get some news about Mass Effect 3, if you actually give a rat's ass. Joe? Mass Effect 3 is going to be getting a new DLC called Leviathan, and there's going to be another new ending. Pfft. Uh, again no no not doing <sighs> it <laughs> all right so the the there's it's a cool concept i like the concept of it uh basically leviathan is you're tracking a rogue reaper um that's been indoctrinating a mining colony out into unexplored regions of space and 
this this area and this this entire situation may yield a weapon that will allow you to destroy the reapers so it's kind of an interesting sort of idea right right there that there's a like a broken off group of the reapers uh, because that in of itself makes one of those options at the end of the original endings kind of meh uh, but also the, you're going to learn a lot more about the reapers themselves how they were birthed like their evolution over the periods of time there's a lot more information uh about them in general and then again there's going to be that new ending at the end the problem that i personally have with it is this is a mid-story dlc i hate mid-story dlcs especially well, when i've already beaten the game multiple times they don't have any choice with this <laughs> they're not going to bring him back as a ghost <laughs> freaking captain but <laughs> casper but shepherd <laughs> but that's the thing but that's the thing like I, and, and i'll agree with with what people have been saying i would rather see a dlc that revolves around one of the other characters yes. like yeah you know like let the me survivors. have garris as the main character for you know this dlc or ashley williams or you know one of the other characters or let me go run around as you know thane or find more information about one of those other characters Give me something else. Shepard's story is done. You don't need you know to go out in the middle anymore. You know why they're not going to do those, though? Because everybody did... wants the fucking no. Shepard. No, 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 no. They did it in Dragon Age. The original Dragon Age DLC, they did several other character DLCs. Yeah. They did the, the Leliana one. They did the Morrigan one. And they weren't very popular. The Liliana one was Liliana very popular. Was, was very popular. Yeah. It was, and it was so was the Morgan. The, it was the bad. Morgan one was popular, which is awful. It was bad, but it was, and it wasn't really the Morgan one. You didn't play as her. It's just revolved around yeah, the relationship it, it, with her. It revolved around her. Uh, they they got burned. I'm not saying that they were necessarily unpopular with the fan base. I'm talking about the people that are working on the game. Look at if you look at what happened when they went and made Dragon Age Two. They were clearly trying to mass effect up Dragon Age. Oh yeah, it was Shepard in time. And, and, I, said uh, that, I said that before. The problem with a lot of that stuff is when when I'm looking at the DLC coming out, when I'm looking at the Leviathan DLC, the Leviathan DLC is strangely pointless. Yeah. Like, think about it. Well, in terms what, of the story, what, yeah. What purpose does it serve? Are you going to have a new ending where everyone's happy and Shepard saves the day? And they wanted to – it's kind of Very admirable. What, what they wanted to do was kind of admirable. Where they wanted to give you an ending where n things aren't neatly solved and, you know, there's a cost and you don't get to have the cathartic hero moment of, you know, because in real life, you know, war and death don't aren't necessarily solved in a day or anything. I got all that. That was great that they wanted to do that. But it didn't fit the Malou. They'd already created the Malou of the character who does, in fact, solve everything. And so now it, it feels like they're trying to give us DLC where we get that feeling without in, without changing their story and you just can't have it you can't have putting in more story dlc in the middle of the game just feels strange it would almost have been better had the end of mass effect 3 not shipped with mass effect 3 oh yeah. please you know then you're winding up with the same bullshit where you have to buy the dlc to finish a game yeah. no, I, I don't buy I, that I'm, I'm not saying that 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 it, the, i'm almost saying that there should have been like mass effect 3 part 1 Mass Effect 3 Part 2, where you buy an entirely new game. I tell you what, what, what it saying. should That's have been is one Mass Effect 3 with a proper ending. 
that's what it needed. And then like Joe was saying too, yeah, put out your DLC. But and and I'm sorry, but I completely disagree with you about Liliana Song and, and Morgan's thing. I think that they very well could have done something, especially with Mass Effect, because the characters, the side characters, mean so much to you, and their stories are that much more important. So to have something wherein you could have had a DLC that would have been from the perspective of someone that you may have romanced and then their story from then on, a tally story or whatever kind of thing, or the the male counterparts, then I think that putting out several DLCs like that that follow and close off the story for those characters post this event, I think that that could have been hugely successful and that's actually something that i would have paid for that to be able to do a tally story after this is all done where she is living in that world after everything that's gone bad and having lost shepherd yeah i would pay for that i don't know how much i'm going to want to watch tally and her quarian friends rebuild the mass relay slowly over the course of several months then go back home I think they probably have more than just that in terms of stories that they could do. <laughs> so they, I don't think they're particularly interested in them based on what I saw. Well, I, I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be interested in seeing what's going on with Garrus. I just almost wish I would have rather seen Garrus between games. Like, I don't really want to go back to the Mass Effect universe anymore. I'm actually kind of afraid of it. Like, what are they, what are they going to do now, if anything? Maybe they shouldn't go back here. But at the same time, how can they not go back here? Their well, shareholders must be going insane. I think that they can go back to the IP and do something, whether it is something that takes place prior to this with other characters or something that takes place after once they've rebuilt and whatever kind of thing. I think that the IP is still strong enough that they can work with it, even if it's a type of post-apocalyptic Mass Effect world um, or universe. I think that that can still work very well. But in terms of the DLC for this, I think that going back, which they did that some of that with Mass Effect 2 as well, like making you go back and do something something part way through your journey that you've already completed you fail i right then and there it's pointless there's no reason listen my shepherd is dead he's in pieces on the ground what this ain't gonna do nothing for me nothing at all and i sure as shit do not want to do the ending again i really don't i don't want to play through all that time just to get to that point again i really really don't yeah you know i haven't i've downloaded it and i haven't even bothered to play it because well, I played the game to completion, and from what I understand, it's clearer, but they don't really change any of the endings. It's not, not really clearer. <laughs> so why would I? Why am I going to bother to play it again? Yeah, I only I mean, did it so that we could talk about it on the podcast. That's the only reason why. Same here. And it was I painful. Done it. It, it was not worth it. I went and watched a thing that showed me everything. Yeah. Because you know YouTube. I yeah. but I have it on my computer. I actually even right now I've just finished a Mass Effect playthrough to do a Mass Effect 2 playthrough, to do a Mass Effect 3 playthrough, because I know I'm going to do this at some point in my life. And so I'm getting all my ducks in a row for an absolutely the way I want to have it playthrough, because I noticed that my previous playthrough, I'd accidentally let characters die that I had not meant to die. <laughs> Pulls so. it off of Vince. <laughs> Actually, no, he wants them to die. <laughs> yeah, Vince, Vince kills everything in sight. You well, I let, I, I let Ashley live. Right. And then someone reminded me Ashley was so ridiculously racist that I kind of found the idea of having a relationship with her kind of creepy. So I could always just not have a relationship with her. But I'm like, then I could have I could have whiny Kaiden instead. Why don't I see that? I'll have whiny Kaiden instead. That way I can just berate him. I can have Kaiden on my ship just like, shut up. 
Shut up. Oh, you, my God. You know, it's funny because while I was still playing 3, having not yet finished it and actually was enjoying it, I was looking forward to starting a second playthrough so badly. I wanted to get and play my Fem Shep that I had, and I was dying to play it, especially because of the, the, the stuff that happened with Thane, because that was her romantic interest in 2. She had a thing with this serpent skin going on there um so i was really looking forward to it. and then after the ending and especially after this let me explain the ending to you again because you're stupid ending um i really i have no interest at all in going back and doing a full playthrough which is what i wanted to do i wanted to do just like you a one two and then three on a new character forget it not gonna happen yeah i'll probably i'll get this play this and probably play it but i don't know i date they hurt my wife with the most. My wife was a huge Mass Effect fan. Oh, yeah? And they lost her. Wow. That's they lost bad. her to the point where she was like, are you paying for Star Wars still? <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm not. She's like, good, because you're not. <laughs> I'm not even kidding here. My wife was like, we are not paying them. We're not paying them for that. No. You, Did she go you knock on their doors? Because they're right close to you. <laughs> she, she, like, she was real mad. I don't think she was quite that mad, but she was real mad. I felt really bad too because this was the game she liked. You know, usually, you know, this was this was her game. Like I played Mass Effect, but she was the big Mass Effect person. I was the Dragon Age person. Right. And Dragon Age had its problems, but I at the end of Dragon Age two, I wasn't like so pissed off at Bioware that I was like, I'll never fucking buy anything again. <laughs> you know? No, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not gonna just buy their games on on Word. She, seriously, after Mass Effect and Mass Effect two, she was buying Bioware stuff on their Word. Like that's what they've lost here. That's yeah. the oh, real yeah. issue. Yep. Definitely. That's what Bioware has lost, and that's a big thing. Yep. The yep. the ability to just put out a game and people would buy it. And the worst part is that Mass Effect Three is good. It's like this. It's good, 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 really good, really good, good, really good, really good. Wow, this is getting what really the fuck good. Happened? Yeah. Ah! We're plummeting into the poop tunnel. What the hell happened? <laughs> well, see, the thing too is that you say that, and they didn't just blow the ending of one game. They did. They had this buildup of three goddamn games. Your ending better, better. You better stick that landing. Three games for one DLCs, and everything else, and to time. blow it yeah. on that so entirely is yeah you've lost a ton of credibility because then how am i going to get invested in any of your other games knowing in the back of my head that hey i might be having fun now but by the end my controller might be in the middle of my tv so no that's it's not good yeah I, and I, I wanted to defend it so bad too i really <laughs> did to this day I, I want to defend it and i just can't because i did not have fun playing it that end that ending the uh, the thing right now, too, with the Wii U is they're talking more about it, that it's going to launch with the Wii U. And it's one of those things that I the, the word of mouth is so bad for this right now that I, I don't care how many cool things that they can implement with the Wii U for this. I'm really not interested. Yeah, I mean, if you if you the thing is, everyone's already played Mass Effect 3. Yeah, it's not as exciting. If, even if it was, even if it had a great ending and we all loved it, are you, is that going to sell you on the Wii U? It would. If I have a Wii U and I need something, I need something more to play, and I'd had a lot of fun with the game, then I would be more likely to to pick it up for the Wii U to see the the new implementations and how cool it'd be and things like that. Um, so no, if if it's a good game, I wouldn't have had a problem picking it up again, actually. Yeah, but it was, it's still though the Wii U, you probably, if you're going to pick up the Wii U, you're going to pick up the Wii U because you're interested in it. 
Oh, it no, no, it wouldn't be. sell me on the console. That's not what I'm yeah, saying. I'm saying it. it'd be a game that, well, I have a console. There might not be a ton of games out right now, but here's one that I know I liked a lot. Shit, I'll play it again. Same as the, the Batman. Well, by that time, I may be ready to play Batman again and think, you know what? Hey, if the implementation on the U is something unique and fun that gives me, you know, that much more pleasure out of playing it, yeah, I'll do it again because I know that one was fun. So there is yeah. that. But now with now with it knowing you don't like the ending, it's not like you're gonna be no. like, well, I'll just play it right up to a certain point, then I'll stop. Yeah, really. <laughs> Once I get to London and and you know I can just stop playing in London and then and walk away mind, happy. It's a great adventure where yeah. I I save London. What happened? Yeah. Who knows? There'll be DLC. <laughs> I'll still be alive. <laughs> I got to London and I shot a bunch of Reapers and then you know it ended. Yeah, we had some fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> all sitting around, wow. yeah, and the, it's like the end of Avengers, except it's you and your crew all sitting around in a blown up fish and chips place, <laughs> just eating fish and chips. Shepard's got the helmet off. All right, let's move away from that. Um, Joe and I were a little lucky. A special thanks to Vince. I know he's going to be listening. He picked us picked us up a copy of Awesome Knots, each of us. Uh, but we found out also that there's actually a hidden Easter egg. In Awesome Knots, if you picked it up on Steam and you go through the folders, you'll find Ruffle Knots in one of the data folders. And you could play this quirky kind of game, retro-looking game. And uh, yeah, it's a nice little Easter egg. Did you get a chance to try it out yet, Joe? No, I didn't get a chance to try it out yet, but I'm going to because it looks like Smash Brothers. It's, yeah. It's Smash Brothers. So did you actually pick uh, try uh, Awesome Knots yet? I haven't had a chance. I'm I still installing it. I've installed it. I haven't had a chance to uh, to try it out yet, but yeah. I mean, I'm it's one of those games we talked about, and I just, I can't, oh yeah, I, you know, thank you, Vince, because I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna play the hell out of it. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, we got some dishonored uh, news. I found that this year QuakeCon was actually really kind of bleh. I, I mean, they made a big deal about Doom Three BFG edition, and I'm thinking it was long enough ago that I'm really not gonna get excited for this. I don't care how you tweak it or what you do to it. I mean, not really. But they did talk, of course, about Dishonored and what they're doing there. Um, again, typical kind of uh, Bethesda fashion. We've got a hell of a nice cast for this, too, including uh, Susan Sarandon's going to be in it, which is kind of Making her video game re- uh, debut, debut, actually. And uh, Carrie Fisher, and then the dude from uh, Mad Men as well is going to be there. So... <laughs> Cream of worm tongue is in it. <laughs> it's true. So... Oh, my Lord. So that should be interesting. I uh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Well, in the role that she's going to be playing, the what is it, a radio announcer or some damn thing they were saying, yep. kind of thing. Ubiquitous government pro- propaganda. Propaganda. I she could she could sell that for sure. You don't have to look at her. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> she she looks a little weird now. I don't know. Skeletor. She's yeah. She's she, looking a little odd. Um, and next up though, we were talking about, Joe and I were talking about this a little bit, then you were telling me about the, the Lego Zelda thing, which is just a fanfic kind of thing. It's not like anything or pick, I should say. Um, yeah, it's a fan, a fan art. Yeah. Of- it's not like anything is being done about this, but the concept of this is something that intrigues us both because like we're seeing Lego doing a variety of comic book things or, or TV or movie things or whatever. And, I think that we need to see them take into account um, games. Start yep. doing remakes of games as Lego games. And I think that you will have a large portion of people who will pay you good money to be able to play their games again as Lego game. So we were talking about it and uh, I, I was thinking about it in terms of like what games would we like to play again 
as Lego games. Well, the obvious one being Lego uh, Zelda. Well, yeah, that would be an absolute blast and, and seems to fit it perfectly and whatnot. But what are a couple that you would like, Joe? Uh, Lego Mega Man, actually. I was thinking about this the other day, and I love the Mega Man games. I absolutely do. And I've been following a project for a fan-made Mega Man game called Mega Man X Corruption. And I was just like, you know what would be really cool? If it, they did a Lego version where when I'm upgrading my weapons, like his arm just like pops off and like they slap another arm on there. But that would be absolutely ridiculously cool. Yeah. Um, so that that was the, the first one out there. Um, what about you, Rossi? Uh, Lego Final Fantasy VII. Cool. Because yeah, it would look perfect. Behind that. that would be it would, awesome. It would look absolutely perfect. If anything, it would look just slightly better than the original yeah, really. Final Fantasy VII did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pretty much any, pretty much any of the Final Fantasy games, like six, would be good as a Lego game. I could probably tolerate uh, Squall as a Lego. Maybe. Barely. Barely. Maybe. Um, well, you wouldn't be able to talk, so yeah, sure, maybe. <laughs> He's got no mouth. Yay. It's funny because <laughs> after I was reading the show notes and we were talking about Mass Effect, and I was thinking. Mass Effect would be awesome as a Lego game, not just because of a it would be cool, be Shepard as a, a Lego and and kind of going around and and doing things and and um and it would fit in with so much of what the the universe is for the Mass Effect universe, but because of the tongue in cheek approach that they take with Lego games, they could be making fun of it as well. So suddenly this really crappy ending could be turned into something completely satirical that makes fun of it that now becomes something that is much more epic in terms of an, a Lego game. So I thought that would be actually pretty awesome. And then I like the idea of a Lego Skyrim or Morrowind or in one of those. Um, yeah. We've seen kind of some of that with the Lord of the Rings one that they're working on. So that, that Tolkien-esque type fantasy world. And they've in already been Skyrim. doing Minecraft versions of, of those anyway. So yeah. Legos is not too far that away. That would be actually pretty awesome. And then the other one I was thinking, of course, too, would be GTA 3. That would be awesome. Running Fallout. over Lego horse with your little car. That would be awesome. <laughs> now I'm going to say Lego Fallout. Yeah. Lego Fallout. Locks, Locks never change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bomb goes would, off and little Lego pips breaking apart all over the place. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be quite cool. Yeah. So Lego, yeah, people at Lego. Start approaching game companies to make some of their games over as uh, as Lego games. And we I will give you money. it would be pretty well received, too, especially from oh, other people right. in the gaming industry. Yeah. Because, hell, I mean, they're fun. Well, not just that, too, but you are really cutting down in development time when you look at it. The games are already done. Just kind of play with that now. Rewrite some of that. Put your typical Lego humor in it, and then use the engine that you already have to pump out these games. Uh, and because I mean, you look at something like the the um, the Batman Two kind of thing, or the Indiana Jones, or the Star Wars ones. I mean, the game engine is done. It looks fantastic. We're good with how it looks, just like that. You don't have to tweak it or anything. And then just play with it to make the these other games money money in the bank oh okay, joe you wanted to talk about this uh, inquisitor game yeah it, it's actually a little interesting for me it's a uh, diablo isometric style type game uh that looks like it's well it's a dark medieval rpg uh, very similar in style and interface to like um baldur's gate and it's kind of cool because your your goal is actually to go out find criminals obtain criminals 
and interrogate them by using such torture devices like the rack uh, in order to, to get the condemning information for them. It's it's the Inquisition, and you get to play one of three characters, either a priest, a paladin, or a thief, uh, which I'm kind of curious how the thief gets pushed into that one. Um, and it just it's it looks really interesting because it's not your your typical RPG. It's not all sunshine and roses. You are you are doing very bad things, um, and the game is reportedly clocking in at 150 hours long. 150 hours long, and it's going to be trans. That's a lot, especially for something like that. And it's going to be translated into English, and it's been about a three-year process to get that translated into English. And it's looking for a release date sometime in August. Um, the it's just so many things about this are just kind of cool. Like the game's story is said to clock in at five thousand pages of text. Um, this is between characters and, and questing and all sorts of stuff like that. That's just kind of cool. I don't know. Like there's a ton of potential here. And I'm really, really looking forward to just... I, I'm going to play it. I, it's going to be available on Steam in... I'm sorry, in uh, September. So I'll, I will, I'm will. i probably going to be picking this up because it just looks like an interesting idea. Yeah, the idea is interesting. It sure as shit doesn't look that <laughs> that good, but... 100 I mean... kilometers of corridors. <laughs> kilometers. Yeah, it's actual kilometers. I don't know how they, you know... Man, I don't... Ugh. <laughs> Well, I mean, the software that the you use to make games. Well, the idea sounds cool, but it, at the same time, this could become a slog real easily. Yes. Sure. You know? That's so a, we'll see what happens. 150 hours might be bordering on too long. And I like games that are long, but holy crap in hell. Like, you really got to care about your character, so it better be well-written and well-designed so that you care about the stories and the people because after that long, you have to. You have no choice. And especially as, like, I mean, games are getting shorter and shorter for a reason. The, the attention span just ain't there. So I, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Um, one of the things that I found, and it, not to talk about it too, too long, but just because we were such fans of Castle Crashers, the Behemoth is working on something new. They're working on Battle Block Theater. And we don't have a lot of new information on it. They they put out a new video, but it's it looks I don't know, it damn near looks like some kind of weird Pokemon thing too with battling or whatever. I have no idea what this is going to be. But again, having the animation looks hysterical. It looks the same thing as Castle Crashers kind of thing. Yep. And so it was like, Jesus, I really want to find out more about this. Have you actually heard anything else about this, Joe? Uh it has a duck. That's about all That's I know. That's all you that know. Duck, okay. And that duck is awesome because it's got like those those weird kanji eyes and <laughs> looks like it eats things. I don't know. Like it's, I have no clue what this game is, but I know that I want to find out more about I, it. That's the thing. Yeah, I want to kind of find out some more information. And again, it's it all boils down to freaking Castle Crashers. I wasted so many hours on that game, and I just I love. I wouldn't it say so wasted. Much. Oh no, invested. I invested. Invested yeah. wisely. And so and there's going to be a crapload more characters for this too. They were saying because um, there's uh, what did they say? Two hundred characters that you can unlock. Whereas yeah. Castle Crashers had thirty. And I know that that's something that my son and I did like crazy. All of the unlocking of the characters, like we had such a blast doing that. So this kind of thing too. And they're talking about the the different weapon tools that you can use and and different things like that. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about this. Uh, you. We're talking also about the uh, there's this uh, game video for the uh, engine for Assassin's Creed 3 that talked about I watched it too. The complexity of the new engine is pretty goddamn cool. It, it's it for me, it was the, the interesting part of it was how they're stepping up their game, right? Like, we've been fans of the series for so long, and 
to see that they're actually caring about the engine and making sure that there's actual upgrades to it um, to make sure that the game gets bigger and better as you go along is it's important. And I say that because so many games will rest in the laurels of whatever engine they have. And it's a very um, Western idea of gaming where you find an engine, you use that engine, and that's what you make your game on. Whereas, like, out in the East, they just, they completely always, like, every time there's a new game, like, every time there's a new Final Fantasy, it's not built on the same engine as the ones before it. It's always a brand new engine that they've created from scratch to make the damn game. And here it's like, well, they're kind of trying to find a little bit of a balance. Like the engine's great. Sure, we've done some really cool stuff with it. But the idea of that you can have it where up to 2,000 NPCs can appear at once now, um, where those scenes now just those battle scenes, like those war scenes, charging into combat, the high seas battles, things like that, they're going to look so much better by comparison uh, to what has come before that it just it adds a new level of grandeur to the game that wasn't there before. I think if they needed it for this, just because of the project, the scope of the project and whatnot, I think that the old engine worked fine for what they were doing, and it allowed them to pump out content really fast, too, for the first games. But with this here, considering what they're trying to put through, then they needed something else. Still, though, I I still, I still, know you were talking about it before, too, and how you're all right with him looking so disconnected from the settings, even watching this video where they're bragging about the engine so much and it's so awesome, you still notice that when he's jumping branch to branch, the branches aren't moving. That when he's running through the snow, he's not moving snow. And there's all kinds of these things that are creating this disconnect between the character and the environment. And I know how you're saying, like, you in your mind can rationalize it and work it into because of how it, the, the enemies, story is. Yeah. yeah, but I still can't. It, to me, it still feels like a shortcoming of the engine. So it's all well and good that you can have, you know, 2,000 NPCs, but how about the freaking branch moves when he lands on it? So, but yeah, it will be interesting to see what it's going to look like as well, too, and, and how much better it's going to look. Like, I mean, we're getting towards the tail end of the console's lives right now for the 360 and the PS3. So yeah, at this yeah. point, they should be churning out freaking amazing looking games. It seems an awful lot like this year in particular, it almost felt like the companies were like holding their breath. Like, I felt that way when the E3 was out. Like, it feels an awful lot like both Sony and Microsoft were just kind of like going <gasps> and getting ready for next year. And it feels like a lot of the game companies are like in, in a holding pattern where they don't know, okay, do we spend a lot of time developing an engine for this console or do we wait till next year's announcement? What do we do? We still got to work on PC games. Do we, you know, what do we do here? See, the impression I, I that I felt weird. more was that it's, it's more that Microsoft and Sony are like thinking, okay, how long can we put this off before the fans, the gamers revolt? and just say demand something new because it just feels like they're constantly rationalizing when they're asked because everybody's always asking listen when are we going to have something else or at least news of something else and they're like well we're still within our 10 year timeline or look at what we're doing we're still powerful enough to do this this and this kind of thing so i think I agree that with you on sony but microsoft feels like they're waffling like mad well they microsoft rely too can't... much on the connect that's the problem. Yeah, Microsoft cannot get themselves to decide internally or at least to agree on what they're going to say externally about whether or not there's going to be a new console next year. Well, it's, Microsoft's it's, in a weird spot right now, too. Yeah. They're, they're walking a very dangerous tightrope with game developers in particular, especially with Windows 8 coming out. And I know we haven't really talked about that too much, but Windows 
like Microsoft is trying to take a, a note from Apple, but they're doing it way too far, and they're starting to add weird restrictions. And there was a recent interview on Forbes, uh, actually, um, which, again, I'm absolutely thrilled that Forbes has been getting into the gaming industry quite a bit more as far as like stuff like this goes, where over the course of the development of just Microsoft Live Arcade, what's something that we, we use a lot, we play a lot of games on and buy a lot of games through, the restrictions that they put in place were so all over the place. They were either too restrictive, not restrictive enough, and they had like this giant balancing act, and it almost actually killed itself before release, and that's something you don't really hear about a lot, and it's actually something I didn't know about until about maybe two days ago, three days ago, where Xbox Live Arcade almost was not a reality based on all the restrictions. So all these indie games we love, like Bastion and you know The Vampire Smile, things like that, would not have come up if they didn't find that balance and now we're getting to the same thing where with windows 8 being released windows 8 supposed to be able to be you know used to play xbox games on it we're in that weird spot because now what do developers do what do they do they start you know worrying about that windows 8 development windows 8 will be on the next xbox they've said that much at least um where it's going to be a very similar metro interface do they have to start worrying about that and then they have to start worrying about all the brand new you know requirements because now when you develop a game for you know the the xbox do you know if you're gonna have to develop in a bing box for it for the search engines i mean with games like we were watching watchdogs a fantastic game we're looking at which has definite real world implementations into it or, or, or i'm sorry notations into it what happens if that character needs to do a search now are you going to be forced to brand that search engine into the game and do all sorts of weird restrictive things in order to have that game released on that console so i mean they're at a weird nebulous spot right now all around which i think, I think they don't want to make that announcement yet because they have no clue what the fuck's going on yet they need to figure out what they're doing before and I'm they not do. saying this is one of those situations where for, when when you have some of the biggest game companies saying varying things varying from this is an unmitigated disaster to yeah we don't like it either that's you, that's your clue that someone at Microsoft in the PR department needs to be like okay what do we actually have to say to calm people down I'm not saying that Gabe Newell is the be all and end all of gaming or that his opinion is the only one that matters because you know that would be foolish. But the guy does have weight. You know he does have literally and figuratively. Yes, literally and figuratively. I'm not making fat jokes. I look at myself <laughs> that I don't make fat jokes. Uh, but you know, Gabe Newell, when he says this is an unmitigated disaster, you have to at least go whoa. Because like it or hate it, Steam is a huge thing. Oh well, yeah. And well, the the other thing too in terms of the consoles is that like Sony was just saying how much of a loss they took this year from their gaming PS3, section as well. Yeah. So they're not going to be in a rush for a four a PS4 either, taking into consideration how much they're hurting from the three and how much they were hurting from the three at the start, which means three they can expect that with a four. The three is ridiculously over-designed. Agreed. The three is strong enough that the three can hang out for another five years. For a while. The Xbox 360 cannot. No. It needs to be updated. I mean, I'm starting to see if artifacts on games that are just not acceptable anymore. And again, that's because they relied too much on the Kinect instead of working on the next version of the Xbox. It was, no, the Kinect is the next integration that is propelling it forward. No, it's not. <laughs> like, really, we've got a Kinect, and you know how often it's used next to never anymore. There were a few quirky games that were fun, but it's next to, it's rarely used anymore. 
the Kinect is a fun thing, and I'd like to see it integrated into the new Xbox, but it's not redefining gaming. What it's doing nope. is showing you where gaming could end up in a decade. But that's a decade away. Yeah, even uh, then, what about they, right now? they quickly moved from motion capture to tablets across yeah. the board yeah. this oh, yeah. year. So we saw, like, okay, maybe people aren't that much into the motion capture kind of stuff. Let's try something different. So, And we're seeing it all around. So, I don't know. Anyways, with that, we are actually going to call it a wrap for this episode. There's going to be a fantastic feature at the tail end of this from Joe on. Uh, was it City or Villains? It's the return to City of Heroes. Yeah. Since, again, since I started playing again, it is completely free to play. I decided why the hell not. So there's, this is going to be the first of a series as I uncover all the different changes and rediscover a game that's now seven years old. Fantastic, fantastic. So make sure to listen to that, and we will, of course, be back next week with Matthew if he's up to it. And uh, if you need to check out the show notes, they are at ForTheLore.com on Twitter, at ForTheLore. And if you need to email anything, send it to ForTheLore at gmail.com. With that, we'll talk to you guys next week. City of Heroes is often hailed as one of the greatest superhero MMORPGs of all time, and with good reason. At the time of its release in 2005, it boasted character models unparalleled to anything else that was out at the time. Even by current MMO standards, the character models and details that it offers are absolutely phenomenal and just mind-blowing. The color schemes, the details, even the animations are just superb voices, character auras, everything you could possibly want in character customization is phenomenal. While some of the environmental details have since been dated, they still keep up on par with such MMOs that are still popular today, like Lord of the Rings Online. City of Heroes is one of those games that I love to play every now and then, especially since it went free to play. Most of my time, however, has been spent on my level 50 character, Dante, who I've spent a lot of time and including money to purchase custom story arcs, to trick out my superhero pad, to customize different costumes how I see fit, give him different items, different different specializations. It just spent a lot of time with this character. In all honesty, in 2005, it has been something like 5,000 days of playtime or something stupid like that that this character has existed and has been my primary focus. Back in 2005, uh, roughly around 2006, right at that end where the, the two are overlapping, there was released a bonus where if you got to level 50, you unlocked a character class, a Warshade or a Peacebringer, an alien race that came down and inhabited a superhero, giving them new life, new powers, and new meaning. And it was a whole new galactic war. I have one of each. I have my Warbringer, who is named Bartleby, and then I have my Peacebringer, White Canary. I haven't touched these characters at the time of this recording in 2,947 days. So my return to City of Heroes marked a desire to take some of these characters that I had never really leveled and spend some time with them. Right away, I noticed that the story arcs were still there. Every bit of quest was still a bit of an arc where you had to investigate, uncover clues, 
find different bits of information, piece it together, and then ultimately culminates in either a heroic boss battle in which you have to have a group of people, such as like a heroic dungeon, or an arch-villain encounter of just epic proportions. All of the little comic book hitches are still there. Characters like to voice their opinions and thoughts in little comic bubbles, and they do display rather randomly. Villains give you their battle cries, other heroes call out for you to help them, and even citizens comment on your recent activities. It's still a phenomenal experience. One thing I noticed is that a couple of the story arcs had really changed. My peace bringer, White Canary, was last level to 14 before I had basically turned away from her and tried other games. The quest that I was on was originally to find the source of a zombie invasion where flesh crafters are reanimating bodies of citizens into horrible amalgamations. Having gone through that story arc on my main character, I had an idea of what to expect. I still remember it because it was one of the best boss fights that I've ever encountered in any MMO. Ad management, ability, ability dodging, having to time your attacks properly, and paying attention to an entire environment around you to make sure that you're doing it right. The story, however, had evolved into something much more grand. There was a lot more investigation involved, a lot more interrogation as well, something I hadn't really experienced before in this game, where the character would actually have to beat somebody within just an inch of passing out and get them to spill the beans. If you didn't time it right, you knocked them unconscious and you lost it and had to start over again. It was an interesting dynamic. But what was most interesting to me is by the end of the story arc, it wasn't the same original villain. It was somebody completely different. So I looked at that and I started looking at a lot of the other story arcs. Whether it was going to Boomtown to try to track down the Clockwork King, or going off to Steel Canyon to fight more Hellions. Everything had changed. Villains had evolved. And this is after many expansions. Not just the City of Villains, not just this, you know, going rogue where heroes can become villains and villains can become heroes and not just the freedom but it's still constantly evolving it was a wonderful experience because something I remembered so fondly something I had such really solid recollection for was completely different and it just caught me off guard and I found myself losing hours into discovering these plots and machinations and finding these new NPC villains and going after them. It was absolutely mind-boggling. It was also mind-boggling to see exactly truly how much content was available at those lower levels for free. And again, this is a free-to-play game where you can purchase things such as unlockables, character bonuses, respects, uh, tailoring slots, things like that. But to see how much content, how many quests, and all the zones that still remained open was absolutely phenomenal. This then led me to decide to roll a brand new character. I hadn't done the tutorial in almost seven years. So, rolled up an archer, went through to find out one of the main zones. When you originally started the game, you had two choices. You could go to Atlas Park, or you could go to Galaxy City. Galaxy City has evolved to a point where it's completely decimated. 
Nothing I knew was there. New monsters waited for me in, the, in what they considered the tutorial. New fighting, new graphic interfaces, and a whole new story. I find myself absolutely intrigued by the destruction of such an iconic city, and with Galaxy City gone, with it in an unknown state. I'm wondering when I get to go back. I logged on to Dante to go poke around, but I couldn't get in. And it makes me wonder, are there more plans for the zone at higher levels? It has me incredibly intrigued, because all the same things I love about it, all those story elements, all that comic book feel, that episodic content, it's all there. It's still there, and many of it's still for free. City of Heroes is still a fantastic experience, a wonderful MMO, and I am so happy that I've gone back to play it again. If you find yourself loving spandex, wanting to go fight crime, or to perpetrate crime, please, I encourage you, download it. At this point, all it will cost you is your time. Give it a shot, see what you think. But expect many updates from me on City of Heroes as I uncover new story arcs, new arch villains, as I experience new zones for the first time for an absolutely phenomenal experience. <laughs>